Hey, SBCC Digital Fam, Mariah here. Just wanted to welcome you to today's episode of the podcast. We're actually going to start out by hearing from Lynn Peisker as she walks us through some announcements and a reintroduction or an introduction for some of us. Lynn is a volunteer staff member. She specializes in project management, which means that she helps advise us on anything from the website redesign to the fundraising process for the Tribune project, and you'll actually hear something else that she helped us achieve later in the gathering. Before we get there, I just wanted to remind you that if you consider South Bend City Church to be home, even from afar, you can always give at southbendcitychurch.com backslash give. All right. Well, let's jump in, and I will hand it over to Lynn to get us started this morning. Good morning. Welcome to South Bend City Church this morning. What a beautiful start to our morning. My name's Lynn. Uh, My husband John and I have been part of South Bend City Church since the beginning. It coincided with the time that we moved here to South Bend, and we found this little community of grace and peace for our city and for the world. And you've found it this morning, and we're so glad you're here, so I welcome you. You know, you saw a lot of talent already on the stage this morning. You'll see more in a little bit. But this is not a performance. One of the things we really believe strongly here, it's one of our mantras, in fact, is that together we practice. We practice being together. We practice learning together. We practice following Jesus together. And for those of us who are believers, those of us who are doubters, there is a warm welcome here for you. And we're glad you're here. I wanted to share with you that this is a very special day here for us because we get to welcome back an old friend. And um, Jason Miller is our founding pastor, lead pastor, and has been on sabbatical for a few months. That sabbatical was made possible by a Lilly Grant It also made possible things that took care of our community in his absence. For example, the picnic last week at Four Winds Field. Many of you were there, we saw each other, and that was great. But this morning, we get to welcome Jason back to the stage, and we've missed him, but we've been good. But it's a special day, and so I hope you'll join me now in warmly welcoming Jason Miller. Hey, thank you. Uh, I know some of you have never met me, like you started coming a month ago. You loved the preaching this summer, and now you wonder why this JV guy is here, and you're hoping to get back to the varsity team. Uh, But others, um, there's a lot of relationship that we share in this community, and it's really meaningful for me to be back. I've also thought a lot about today, and I, I keep coming back to this sort of social pattern that you've probably experienced. You ever walk into, um, like, a mingling situation? Sort of an unstructured, uh, you know, no rules, just sort of people at will interacting with one another with no structure. That's really hard for me. Um, and then you know that one guy who walks up to you, and you know that they've been on vacation for a little while, and, and you see them make eye contact with you, and they, they sense a willing victim. And then what you realize is they're about to just impose upon you story after story after story of an experience they've had that you have no connection to and no feelings about. And you can tell that the more they tell you about it, the more frustrated they're getting because you're not feeling the things that they felt while they were in Boca or wherever they were. And you're still just living your life. And then they pull the phone out and there's pictures and you just want the slideshow to be over. And I don't want to do that to you. But... 
we, we do want to reconnect, you know? Um, and everything that I got to experience in the last few months was entirely thanks to this community in, in many ways. And um, so I, like, I feel you know, a real deep feeling that I want to share some of that with you. Um, so a little bit of today and in the couple of weeks ahead will be me sharing. Today I thought I'd, I'd tell you a little bit about some of the things that happened in me in the last uh, three and a half months. And then in the next week or two, we'll also talk about some of the things that I saw. Um, but before I get to any of that, I really want to hear from you because I'm not the only one who had an experience in the last three and a half months. And this community has had a whole life together. And while I can like, you know, hear the reports from the team that have been really great to hear, uh, Matt Grable, our executive pastor, wrote a briefing document for me. It was wonderful. I, I poured a cup of coffee and I sat and read page after page after page after page after page after page after page of really, really helpful information from him and the team about everything that had happened. So I've had some catching up. Um, so I don't need necessarily to like be informed of the events of the last few months because I'm aware of them, but I'm really eager to hear about what has happened in you in the last three and a half months because I think that's the, the deeper conversation that we want to reconnect on. But to structure some of that, I, I thought I would just kind of like point out to you, remind you of a few of the things that you've been a part of while I've been gone and just see if, if one or two of you wants to speak for a second or two about how you experience some of these things. So this will be kind of an extended open floor. And uh, I'd love to just like hear what's been going on in you collectively and individually. Uh, is that set all right? We'll do that for a bit. Yeah, okay, great. Let's go all the way back to right after Easter, which might feel like years ago or it might feel like yesterday. Uh, but for several weeks, uh, this community heard from uh, Beth and Shannon and Stephanie and Kathy, uh, all around a book that Shannon has written called Start With Hello. Uh, is this ringing a bell? I hope. Good. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. This is about neighboring and the very sort of real ways that we can actually show up as neighbors. Would like one or two of you just want to like, I don't know, say a little bit about what that meant to you or what it did in you or maybe how it's still working on you today? Anybody want to go that far back? I know that's a while ago. Yeah. I'll get that far. So one of the last weeks in the series, you had the opportunity to write a postcard. And on my postcard, I wrote, whoever is coming over here in this season loves you and you love them. On, that, on your postcard, you wrote, whomever is coming over here in this season loves you and you love them. So get over yourself. So get over yourself. <laughs> get over the boxes. Get over the boxes. And welcome them in. And welcome them in. Let me get clarity. Are you saying that, did we, are we sending you the postcard? Yes. Oh, that's okay, got it. Yeah, so you're going to get, or did you get it yet? When does that go back to you? It came back. It, it came back. Like, it came back about two weeks later. Lovely. Right at the time that someone, came, someone said, I'm coming over. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh. It came right around the time that somebody said, I'm coming over. That's awesome. Did anybody else get a postcard at the right time? Yeah, right over here. I love that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're talking about Sean Palmer's teaching on the tower. Was it Sean that taught at the Tower of Babel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. What did you learn? What do, you, what do you remember? Well, uh, I learned that, it was, that there was languages before, and I also learned that it was uh, God destroyed it because of they were going to come and uh, try to uh, be imperialism to the center of the... Yeah, so the, one thing you learned was that they had languages before that, and two, 
that this might be a story about imperialism and trying to sort of impose that on the land around them? Oh, that's a good report, man. I love that. Gary's also getting ahead of us. That's, well, that's the last series of the summer, but that's good. That's good. That's good. We'll take it. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, between Start With Hello and the series that Gary's talking about, uh, we had everyone in Icon with Ryan and David and Angela uh, speaking to us about some of the themes of one of our core mantras about honoring the image of God in everyone. Um, David, you might remember, uh, he's written this book about uh, anabaptism and this way of nonviolence, taking really seriously the things that Jesus actually tells us about how to love our neighbor and be in the world. Um, anybody want to reflect for a moment on anything from that series, what it did in you, what it spoke to you? I'm curious, for how many who were here, how many was the anabaptism thing like brand new language for you? Was that a new category? No, most of you are just experts in it. That's brilliant. That's wonderful. That's good. <laughs> I figured, I kind of had a feeling about this community that that was the case. Um, I'm, I haven't even gotten to catch up on it, but I, I know David really well. We went to college together, and I'm really thankful that that's being introduced here because um, I know it's just striking when Christians actually decide that the things Jesus actually said should matter. It's just a really big deal. And like any time that happens, a lot of good can happen in the world. And to have an introduction to that's really helpful. Um, Gary got us into a surprise in the text. We had some outside friends come and talk to us, Mike Goldsworthy and Sean Palmer. I understand that we had our first ever video teaching on the stage. I think that was our first ever video teaching because Sean's travel didn't work out so well. This is uh, Mike and Sean just taking us into some unexpected corners of scripture and sharing some perspective on that. Anybody uh, want to add to Gary's reflection on those few weeks? Anything that you took away from that? Yeah. It was one of those weeks. It was one of those weeks. Uh huh. But I have a new quote that I put on my wall at work. Oh, nice. A new quote on Lori's wall at work. It's, it was Matthew 5 3. Matthew 5 3. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God. You're, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Because there's less of you. When there's less of, more, less of you. There's more of God. There's more of God. And his, and his role? In his rule. Nice. And that's on your cubicle or your office at work? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Why did that stand out to you? Um, because it just reminds me that I'm just the small part. Mm. He's the big part. Yeah. So when there's less of me, there's more. I allow more. It's good to remember that you're the small part, he's the big part. There's less of you, there's more of that. Is that kind of relaxing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's, it actually kind of like takes the burden off, right? Yeah. Like, hey, that's Yeah, it's really heavy to try to be God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not God. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, Lori's not God, just so you all know. No, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, for the record, um, as I was kind of rooting for, for this community while I was gone, I was also really excited for you to just have the feeling that um, we're not alone in this and to have some outside friends. You know, like during the work week and among the staff, we're, we're aware that we're woven into these larger networks of relationship and that South and City Church isn't just an island on its own trying to do what we do, but we, we have the benefit of uh, wise counselors and encouragers and other, other pastors and communities in other places who are sharing their experiences with us. And that's added a lot of grounding and perspective and, and strength to this community. But you all don't often have access to that because you're not on the Zoom calls on a Tuesday at 11 a.m. with some pastor from someplace else who's sharing things with us. Uh, but I know I was really excited for you to hear from some friends of SBCC who, uh, long before they showed up on our stage, have been in relationship with us and helping us get better at what we do. So I was really excited to hear that that was happening. Uh, I do want to call out um, uh, that, like, leading through all of this in our gatherings, Mariah and team, um, it's really comforting walking away knowing that we've got her voice and her leadership making all that happen. Yeah, big shout out to Mariah. 
You also had a moment uh, in the adult gatherings where the veil was torn between kids' ministry and what happens over here. Um, there were several weeks where the kids were making their own artwork on our mantras, these um, expressions of the values that shape our community. And then uh, my understanding with the pictures that I've seen is a, a bit of an art exhibit happened right here in the adult side of the gathering where you saw some kids' artwork. And I tried having the pictures up, but the internet's not working today and I had some connectivity problems, so I'm afraid I don't have the pictures to show you. But if you were here, you saw them and uh, you discovered that the kids have been doing a lot of work on these too, which is also a really good excuse to celebrate Karen and say thanks for like, all the work that she and her teams have done over the summer, right? Yeah. Um, I wasn't on social media during uh, my sabbatical, although I was kind of. I lurked a little bit. Um, and I was really moved um, to see that uh, space would be created here in the wake of the Uvalde um, shooting. Um, just a safe and sacred space to process that trauma, to pray, um, and even to consider ways of acting and being in the world that are meaningful in response to that sort of thing, uh, to consider like, wh like what does it look like to actually walk the way of Jesus in a world where things like Uvalde happen? And I know that's kind of tender, and so I don't mean to move too quickly into that, but I do wonder if anybody um, had a chance to step into that space that was created here, and if anybody wants to uh, say a word or two about what that was like for you. And a part of the, the answer there is that that's a tender, oh yeah, right over here, sorry. Seeing the names, scrolling on the screen. Let me get that far. Seeing the names is important because when you're distant, it can be kind of dehumanizing for them. Is that, Was your that person that me Yeah. Yeah, so not, not that you could actually put yourself in their shoes, but to see actual names really drives home the idea that that could have been one of your loved ones. Yeah. Uh, just drawing attention to it being a space where uh, her kids could be there too. And you said being newer here in this community. Although I'm not going to let you keep calling yourself new because you know new around here is like a month and then you're like, you're OG. Sorry. But um, so first of all, to be a part of a community that's actually going to name some of this stuff. But then secondly, for it to be a place where, where kids are a part of the experience. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else on, on that? Oh, yes. Also moving that it wasn't just Uvalde, it was Buffalo and Michiana, and this isn't just stuff out there, distant. It's our family, our community, our world too. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, really grateful for a community that would do that. Um, in other news, kind of on the joyful end of the spectrum, we bought a building while I was gone. Yeah. I have to tell you guys, so the team, like the, the protocol for the sabbatical was like, we, we did not stay in touch. Like I wasn't getting updates. I wasn't checking in on things. And that's easy to do because of how much trust we have in the team here, which is something we can keep celebrating. But I did get, I got a, a picture from Matt Grable. He texted it to me and it just had like the key to the building, which is really comforting to know that that went through. Cause I left on my sabbatical knowing like that's gotta happen, you know, mortgage and all that stuff. And by the way, if you're thinking, how could you possibly leave when we don't even have the mortgage like finalized and secured and all that, here's my thought process. I picture South Bend City Church bumping into like a problem in the commercial real estate process. And I imagine myself in the meeting and I ask myself, Knowing all the advisors that we have, um, people, especially like Jeremy McClements and Tom Grant, who like are both professionals in this space, who've been walking with us through the whole process, and people like Matt Grable and Katie Miller, who on, on the staff side of things have been making it all happen on our board. I just pictured me being in the meeting and being like, you know, in light of all of my years of experience with multi-million dollar real estate transactions and commercial, like commercial, like that wouldn't have been the case. So it was easy for me to recognize that all the expertise was here without me, but I get the, the picture texted me and I was like, okay, Matt, you broke the veil. I'll lean back toward you. I'm just going to FaceTime you for a second. I just want to like look you in the face and say congrats. And he hung up on me. He, he declined the call. <laughs> I FaceTime. And you know when you can tell that they immediately shut it down? Like they didn't let it ring and go to voicemail. It just like shut it down. I thought, all right, that's all I get. I guess I'll see you in August. Um, but we bought a building, which is amazing. And if you're not aware of the Tribune building, the printing press uh, down Lafayette on the right at the corner of LaSalle across from the Taco Bell is going to be our future home, not just for South and City Church, but for a lot of good that can happen in the city that we get to play host to. And so uh, we've gone from the discerning phase to the fundraising phase to the buying phase, and now we're in the building phase. And we get to spend the next uh, year or so making that a reality. That's um, really, really exciting. And there are many, many, many people to thank, including like every donor who's made it possible. But I do want to call out specifically um, Matt Grable and Katie Miller and Jeremy McClements and Tom Grant, staff and community members who have um, just given so much work to that process. And you can rest easy knowing that that's been in really good hands. Um, Speaking of like really good hands, uh, like I remember I was actually on silent retreat with no connection to the outside world when the road decision happened. And so uh, after days of silence and disconnection, I, I, I hopped into a cab from this monastery. I'll tell you more of these stories later. And I turned off airplane mode on my phone. And the first notification I saw was that this very contentious and politically fraught thing had happened in the United States. And my first thought was to go back to the monastery forever. Uh, <laughs> My second thought was, oh man, I don't know how the team handled that, but I feel really deeply peaceful and confident that it was handled with a lot of grace and care um, in light of all the kind of fraught things that come in moments like that. Um, we have team members like Amanda Harris, who has just um, hustled through and through to make things like the picnic happen. Lynn Peisker, who welcomed you today, who uh, was instrumental in a grant process that won us a $30,000 grant that you may not know about yet, that's going to help us pursue some of the peacemaking pilgrimages that are going to be part of our life together in the next few years. Um, Zach, you love him on stage, but what many of you may not know is that uh, day in and day out, what he does is make sure that this is a caring community. And he handles all the traffic that comes in as we learn about needs that are a part of South and City Church so that we can connect resources with needs and show up with love and actually take care of one another the way that we're called to do. And so uh, one more time before I go any further, I would just love to say, can we give a huge thank you to the team that made the last thing happen possible? Yeah.
Yeah. Totally. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me get that front because I didn't hear it. Uh, she was just saying they've been in churches in the past um, where a pastor might have gone away, and then you think maybe you feel more connected to the pastor than you do to the church. And so there's fear. There's fear there's about fear. the going away. There's fear about going away. I'll try to talk a little bit louder. There's fear about going away. There's fear about your faith continuing to grow, etc. And I just want to say that when you announced that you were leaving, it was kind of scary. I mean, mm -hmm. it kind of like pulled back on that a little bit. But I think the blessing is that it gave your team the opportunity to show us what they have. Yeah. And to appreciate them in a way that we wouldn't have been able to do without you. Yeah. And I feel like that's such a blessing oh. because now you come back and we know we love you. And it's not that we didn't know we loved them, but they didn't have that opportunity to show us what they had. Yeah. And what you guys are capable of if you were not to come back. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of like, important to think about that and to realize that we are a community that's more than a person yeah and it's kind of what she talked about as far as that that bible verse about we're little and the great big scheme of things and so realizing that one person isn't everything yeah. except for god yeah and watching how all the puzzle pieces went together is just incredible uh -huh. and so i'm really thankful for you that you got to have that experience because i know you need that to, to, to lead us but i'm thankful for all of us that we got to see how it can happen and work, yes. and I'm just I'm just thankful for that. And I'm sorry, this is unscripted. No, this is wonderful. This is like, amazing. I just felt that, and yeah. felt I needed to share that. No, so thank you. I hope that was okay. Yeah, that's no, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. You guys hear that? Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, yeah. No, that's that's the perfect way to wrap that up. Thank you. That's that's spot on. And um, that's that's perfect. I'll just leave that there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I couldn't say it better myself. Um, if it's all right, I did th I think I would share just a little bit about some things that sort of happen in me, and I want to I want to work hard to make this an offering for you and not just a a story about me. Um, but I do I you know I can't show up as anything other than I am you know, and I'd rather you know kind of where I am and what's going on um, because um, the sabbatical for me was was wonderful, um, and the the truest thing I can say about it it was it was everything I needed. And I'm really, really thankful for that. But I thought I'd put a little more flesh on that for you because I think um, some of the ways that it proved to be what I needed um, might be an encouragement to you today. And that's, that's why I want to offer that up. So um, if you're curious, like, like we built this, this whole plan together, um, our board and I, because we were applying for a grant. Um, you don't get Lilly money by being casual, just for the record. That's the philanthropic organization that funded it. And so, you know, they want to see um, what are you going to do with literally every dollar and every day? And who are you going to be with? And why are you going to do those things? And how do they kind of work into a theme that's going to help you come back renewed and ready to serve your congregation well? And so that was a really, really helpful process. We crafted um, a vision for the sabbatical that was mapped onto our vision as a church, which at the deepest level from the very beginning has been us saying that we want to live in the tension between a rooted faith and a changing world. And we're not trying to ignore either of those things. Um, sometimes, you know, in religion or in church, we can like, be really committed to the thing that we've inherited, this faith that we sort of receive from those who have gone before us. And like we're really committed to the thing we've inherited and sometimes we just sort of ignore the things going on around us because it seems like that's not our business, right? 
Um, that's when you go to church on Sunday and, and they're not talking about any of the things that you've been seeing all week, right? It's just like this weird sort of um, twilight zone world that ignores the things that are happening. We didn't want to do that. Uh, we've seen where that can go even further in that direction where uh, a community like ours could be like really committed to this thing that we've inherited, to some understanding of the faith that we've received. And then we actually see everything else as a threat to that. So that's even a more sort of militant and defensive stance where pastors like me stand on stages like this and tell you don't read these books and don't ask these questions and it's really dangerous out there and it's really scary. And we don't wanna do that, you know? Uh, we've also seen though where like a space like this can kind of run the other way and be so hyper-responsive to every new trend, every current that's out there right now um, that you almost end up looking at, at the, what we've inherited, at the, these roots of faith that we've received, of the creed and the story of Jesus and the ways that it's been taught in the past as this sort of unfortunate, antiquated, embarrassing thing, and you kind of just capitulate to what's going on right now, and it's almost like you just say that whatever the current thinking is on anything, that's probably the best thinking, that's not where we are either. We, we really think that, like, from the beginning, the church has been a living, breathing thing that lives in, in the tension between those. That God is speaking to the church both through everything that has already come before us and you know, inviting us to wrestle with and embrace what God's leading us into right now. So there is some sort of rooted faith in changing world structure to my time away, which I was really, really thankful for. Um, the rooting included things like uh, a pilgrimage to a steakhouse in Abilene, Texas, uh, to spend uh, hours with a, a theologian and an experimental psychologist, uh, one person who does both those things, uh, a guy named Richard Beck, whose work has been really meaningful to me for a long time, but just to spend hours with him um, processing some of the questions that are part of our community was really helpful to me after having read all of his books and sort of taken in his work from a distance. Um, also, I mentioned this uh, monastic experience uh, overseas, which was a time to plug myself into a way that people have been following Jesus for like 1,500 years. Uh, Benedictine monks uh, live in the rule of Benedict, which goes back to the 400s AD. And um, uh, in a lot of ways, their, their way of living in community has lo largely gone unchanged. And their way of praying, and their way of paying attention to God, and their way of honoring one another and their guests has been pretty consistent uh, over all those centuries. And so I just kind of grafted my own life into their life uh, for a nice long stretch. And that was another kind of rooting thing. And then there's changing world stuff. Um, if you know me, maybe this won't be surprising for you, but in terms of, like, I'm, I'm really, I'm just genuinely and deeply curious, like, if you were to take the temperature on humanity right now, like, what would you pick up, you know? If you were to pay attention to the kinds of um, heart cries and questions that are, are shaping us, that are being expressed, like, what would you hear? And so naturally, I went to Coachella Music Festival in Southern California and listened, uh, to the anthems um, that are, you know, really deeply a part of the zeitgeist of the moment that we're in right now. If you don't know Coachella, big, big music festival out in the desert in California. Um, and I felt very old <laughs> among the kids. Uh, so I went to Coachella. Uh, I also uh, spent a, a while in Los Angeles where uh, I took in as much stand-up comedy as possible. Um, don't get your hopes up. I don't think I got any funnier. You're still stuck with my pastor jokes. That's not gonna change. Um, but you know how like preaching becomes its own genre of communication and how weird that is sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Uh, so it's like, okay, I want to keep studying communication and thinking about how to communicate in the moment we're living in right now. And if I, I don't want to just like go imbibe preaching for hours on end, um, 
where else would you go? And uh, I think there's nothing quite like what a stand-up comic can do. Um, in so many ways, they, they genuinely are um, committing acts of prophetic speech in the world today. Um, they, they come at things unexpectedly and, and from the, slot, the side. Um, to quote uh, one of my favorite poets, they tell the truth, but they tell it slant. And so um, I spent a lot of time in comedy clubs in LA just taking note of the way that they work on their craft. So that's kind of some overarching stuff. But really now what I want to drop down into is just one um, big thing that kept working on me uh, because I want you to know where I'm coming from today and in case it's a service to you. Um, I walked out of here on Easter Sunday knowing that I was you know, off the hook for three and a half months and entering into this thing that we've been planning for a couple of years. And uh, Sunday was great, had um, Easter with my family, and then woke up Monday morning, and I was racked with a kind of anxiety I've never experienced in my life. It was physical and palpable, it was in my belly and it was in my head, and it, um, it was almost like internally there was um, a sort of uncomfortable buzzing energy in me that uh, felt a little unsafe and confusing, and I was like, oh, all right, now we're in it. Now we got to figure out what we're going to do with this. I had been coached by a number of people ahead of time that um, your time away is going to show you things that you weren't expecting to see, and it's going to get a little uncomfortable. Um, and so I thought this must be a little bit of what they're talking about. I talked to a couple of friends even that day about what I was experiencing, and some of them were quick to say, like, well, yeah, because, you know, you're not working, and most of us don't know what to do when we're not working. And I laughed, and I said, do you know me? That's not been a problem for me in my life. Like, I'm not the guy that needs to be on email to feel like I matter. Uh, I could actually probably use a little bit more of that in my life to, like, be responsive. Um, that's not what was going on. Uh, I pulled out my journal, and I got quiet. I sat at my dining room table for uh, hours. And I just um, tried to apply one of the lessons I've learned from a mentor, which is just these two words, get curious. You know, whenever you experience something um, in what you might call the spiritual life that you don't understand, like don't judge it, don't run away from it, don't identify with it, just get curious about it. And so I just try to get curious about it. And um, I began to think about the framing of what I'd walked into. You know, we'd planned for quite a while this thing. We thought we were going to do the sabbatical a year prior, but then COVID hit and we delayed the grant application. So we've been looking forward to this for a really long time. And... Um, What I realized is there was a really deep fear that was bubbling up in that anxiety. And the fear was, after all these years, uh, I've been on the payroll of a church every day of my life since I was 19 years old. Um, and like any work that demands your heart, um, which a lot of us have versions of that kind of work, whether it's in the home or, you know, on the job, whether it's something you're paid for or not. Like any work that demands your heart, um, it, can, it can take a lot. And so I, the, the thing I realized was for like two and a half years, I've been looking forward to this stretch, um, thinking and believing and hoping that it'll give me what I need uh, to come back for the next long stretch. And then I got to the first day of it, and I didn't realize it right away. My, my body began speaking to me before my mind could catch up with what it was telling me, but once it did, like the really deep fear was like, what if I don't get what I need out of this? And um, then it became really clear to me that my job for the next three and a half months was gonna be every day to consciously lay down all of my expectations 
and just trust that I was going to get what I need if it, if it wasn't what I was planning on. Um, so I wrote that down, and that began um, a really beautiful and challenging and surprising journey for three and a half months. It was ironic then that, so like, I literally write in my journal, like, okay, so now my job is to let go of all the planning and all the expectations and just receive each day as it comes and let everything be what it's going to be and trust that it'll be what I need. And the guys, uh, on a logistical level, everything went wrong for three and a half months. Um, because we had this really generous grant that made all this possible and because I, I, uh, in my sabbatical plan, I had long stretches in other places, like, like 30 days at a time in other places. And so I needed to make sure I had housing in those places for like 30 days. So I had booked housing months in advance. And every single booking I had for lodging throughout the entire sabbatical that was more than a few days, every single one of them canceled on me or fell through. Not one of them, every one of them. And you're like, all right, I get it, right? Like something's happening here, you know? Uh, I had this house booked uh, for Coachella. Friends and I were all going to pitch in together and pay for it and stay there together. And out of 10 friends, five fell through, which meant we couldn't afford that house. And so I had to like cancel that and we had to like work out the money thing and then try to find another house. And I don't know if you know this, but when 120,000 people descend upon the desert, it's hard to find housing last minute. But we did. Uh, Nashville, uh, really generous friends had offered their home for me to stay. They were going to be gone the whole time. And then two weeks out, I check in and they find out that their plans had changed and that house is no longer available. Uh, in Ireland, I had a hotel booked and the hotel burned down. <laughs> Nobody was injured, so it's okay to laugh. Literally, I get an email. From, and by the way, Belfast is not a big city. Uh, it's 300,000 people. It's like a Grand Rapids-style city. There's not a lot of hotels in Belfast. And when one of the nicest, biggest hotels burns down, all the other ones get booked, right? So hours spent scrambling on Airbnb to try to figure out where to stay. Uh, and then in LA, so let me back up. I'm in Nashville at that part of my sabbatical, and I'm actually on the phone with a friend of mine talking about the sabbatical, and I'm literally telling him on the phone about this theme about how things are not going the way I plan, but I'm learning to trust that I'm still going to get what I need. And while I'm on the phone literally saying to him that my housing keeps falling through, my phone's on speakerphone sitting on the table next to me so I can see notifications that pop up, and I'm mid-sentence telling my friend about how my housing keeps falling through when an Airbnb notification pops up. And it says, your LA house has been canceled. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's not easy to find 31 days of housing in LA on a budget last minute. And again, and by the way, the notification from the host, it just said, sorry, bro, this should have never been listed. I'm like, but it was. Back in January when I paid you for it. Like, how do you do this, right? So, uh, and that house was, like, we picked... For a lot of reasons, like LA, I don't know if you know anything about LA, but LA is not a great place to drive around. Like it takes hours and hours and hours to go a mile. And I was there especially to be with uh, family and friends. And so I like triangulated between where they live so that I would have no more than a three hour drive between them, which is a joke. It was more like 20 minutes until traffic hit and then it was three hours. And I end up, um, you know, booking a house that I think is going to be like far less workable for what I needed. And yet, like, I mean, it almost sounds like I'm putting a bow on it, like it's too cute the way I'm telling it to you, but like every single place where I ended up staying ended up being exactly what I needed. Um, in Nashville, I thought the best thing for me would be like uh, a space to myself and then I would see all my friends. Um, I have a lot of people I really love who mean a lot to me in Nashville. 
And instead what happened is I ended up crashing at my friend's house, uh, Seth and Sarah and their three little ones who call me Uncle Jay. And so instead of solitude, I got to do bedtime every night with Haven and Athen and Paxton and that was way, way better for my heart um, and did so much for me. Um, uh, I could go on and on. Um, and the housing isn't even the point. Um, but like over and over again, so loud and clear, it's not gonna be what you thought, but you are gonna get what you need. Just over and over again. This experience is not gonna be what you thought. It's not gonna live up to all your kind of detailed uh, strategies and designs, but you are gonna get what you need. Um, and for somebody like me who's wired the way I'm wired, I, um, you know, we don't all have the same wounds, but there are a few major wounds that shape humanity. And of the major wounds, one of the ones for me is just kind of a deep fear of inner scarcity, of a scarcity of inner resource. And then the resources around me end up just being sort of a construct to reflect that kind of inner fear. And so um, to have everything around me fall through just so that I can discover that even though it's not going to be what I thought, it'll be exactly what I need was just such a gift for me. Then uh, in the middle of the sabbatical, like right in the heart of it, um, intentionally placed at the center was this time at a monastery where I went away because uh, I'm very spiritual. It's a joke, you guys, come on. <laughs> no, I just, I just had this feeling that I needed to rest in a certain kind of way and to be in a place that was quiet, um, where people are praying, but frankly, they couldn't care less whether you pray or not. It's really delightful. Like the monks do their thing and, they just don't really care whether you pray with them or not. Like, hey, yeah, we're doing our thing every, you know, every few hours. We'll meet in the chapel and we'll pray the psalms. Kind of sleepy and off tune because they chant, but not well. Uh, <laughs> and you can pop in if you want. Um, to be there was um, sacred in a way that I still have a really hard time finding words for. But it's funny. Um, the only conversation I had each day was for one hour, uh, I met with uh, one of the monks, Brother Thierry. Brother Thierry has been a Benedictine monk for 30-some years. Um, he and his brothers moved to Ireland from France because they felt a calling to be a monastic community somewhere in the world where Christians were divided against Christians um, to pray for and to demonstrate a, a manner of unity that um, the world is really desperate for. And so that's another reason I was drawn uh, specifically to be in that sacred space. And so my only conversation each day was to meet with Brother Thierry for an hour just to kind of help me process. And his job was really just to help me pay attention to God and whatever it was that God was sort of, you know, working out in my life. And I'll never forget, you know, my first night there, I'd already, you know, been in the monastery for seven hours of silence, which in some ways can feel like an eternity. <laughs> Not in a bad way, just uh, the time stretches out. So by the time I met with Brother Thierry for the first time, I already like had a lot going on that I'd been working through that day. And I went to him and he just, he kind of like said, you know, what's on your mind? What are you, what are you here for and what are you experiencing? And I began to um, share some wounds and frustrations and hurts that I've been carrying for a long, long time. And maybe it's because I was in a different headspace, maybe I was seeing things that weren't there, but Guys, it's like his face was like glowing with compassion. <laughs> he just like threw, I just, even now like, I won't forget like what I felt when I made eye contact with the brother Thierry and just the kindness with which he heard me. 
And then he, he spoke um, with such empathy and tenderness toward those things, and I just felt so deeply seen. And I remember thinking, finally, like, yes, thank you. This is what I knew that I needed. And then after he said these really, really kind things to me about what I was feeling and experiencing and me thinking, finally, I have what I need, then he says, but he paused for a moment. And then he just said, like, I think you are here to figure out why it's getting to you. I was like, I got to remember I'm off sabbatical, so I shouldn't swear up here. Sorry. I, the, things I was, the things I was feeling toward him that I wanted to say to him. Um, and the compassion continued in his, you know, his look. His, his demeanor toward me didn't change. But I think the greater expression of his, of his compassion for me was to provoke me a little bit. And he said, um, he said, I think it's possible that you feel sort of claustrophobic in the world around you and you keep bumping into these things around you, but that in fact the thing that's claustrophobic is what's inside. And that you, like every human being, have this really big interior world, but almost none of us ever explore that world, and that's why it feels really cramped in there. And um, he said, I, I just I think it's really possible that the reactivity that you're feeling to everything around you has more to do with what's going on in you. And that set me off on um, a week-long journey there to keep um, digging into all of that. And once again, um, what he gave me was not what I thought, but it was exactly what I needed. Uh, throughout all of this, I reflected on a couple of scriptures in particular. Um, one of my best friends in the world, um, a college buddy of mine, in his 20s, he lost both of his parents to cancer. And I'll never forget him telling me about um, the night that his father passed and his mom had called and said, he'll probably go soon, so get down here to Indianapolis, you're gonna wanna say goodbye. So he jumps into his car, it's late at night, and he doesn't even make it out of his neighborhood before his mom calls back and says, actually, he's gone. So no need you know, to drive through the middle of the night, just come down in the morning. So he turns his car around and he tells me about you know, everything he's feeling and how um, uh, this deer walked out in his path and his headlights uh, shone upon that deer and the deer just kind of paused and looked at him for a moment and then the deer walked away and he said to me I don't know how to explain it but all I can tell you is that that that, that was God's grace to me just that, that momentary encounter of peaceful communion with this creature who walked in front of my path and just kind of stood silently for a moment and looked at me and then he said, I kept thinking of that moment where Paul, in a letter in the New Testament, um, says that God's voice to him has been, my grace is sufficient for you. And my buddy Ash, he said, um, sufficient's an interesting word. I've heard a lot of sermons about the overwhelming generosity of God and the, the tidal waves of mercy of God and the you know, big dramatic showings of God's favor and kindness. Um, and he said, but, and that's not how I would describe what I've experienced in the wake of these losses. What I've experienced is, is just that word, sufficient. 
Uh, this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, um, where the, the larger text is Paul writing, saying that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And uh, that's been working on me um, for the last three and a half months. There's a, a temptation to want to go away and then come back guns blazing. You know what I mean? Like, look at me. Look how shiny I am. I got some sermons for you all. I'm going to fix you. It's going to be great. Um, and it's quite different to come back and just say, uh, there's nothing that I thought I needed, and I got everything I needed, and a lot of it was just um, sufficiency and just trusting that, um, that I would have the things that I need, and I'm really thankful. Um, there's a psalm, a uh, prayer in the Old Testament that many of us are familiar with that um, years ago became really important to me, especially in our life together as a church. And uh, in the monastery, I came back to this prayer and began praying it again every day. And it's been uh, with me since I've come home as well. Um, it's a familiar psalm for many. It's Psalm 23. Um, but because I have a really hard time when language becomes too familiar and too cliche, um, years ago I sort of rewrote this psalm for my own benefit. And um, I want to read this to you um, as a way to take you just a little further into what happened in me while I was gone, because these are about as good as any words I can think to describe um, the feeling that I've had over the last three and a half months. The prayer says, the ground of our being and the giver of our existence is my creator and guide. So I already have everything I need at the deepest level. This giver makes me lie down in lush places and leads me beside peaceful waters and restores my soul. I find that God, the source of all that is true and good and beautiful, takes an interest in me, guiding me along a path of truth and goodness and beauty, all for the sake of love. And even though I walk through a valley where death and loss haunt me, where the threats are existential, I'm learning to trust that which is greater than evil because evil is a limited resource and God never runs out of love. For God is with me and for me, gently nudging me toward my identity and purpose and fiercely fending off that which would destroy my soul. The giver is so generous that I find myself feasting on good things even when the threat of evil or suffering is close at hand, an abundance overtakes me. And while suffering may be close at hand, pursuing me, pursuing us, such evil is outpaced by the goodness and mercy that chase us in every moment. And our eternal home is with God, which is the place of greatest belonging we will ever know. As a preacher, um, I always feel tensions um, when it comes to saying like what I believe in my bones about the fact that we are going to have what we need because I know that there are material needs that are unmet in this room today. And God knows there are material needs that are unmet in our community at large. Um, I know there's a lot of individual stories in this room of people who haven't had what they needed in so many ways. I also know that we have felt the, the social fabric continuing to fray. Um, right here, and I think a lot of us have a lot of questions about what does the economy look like in the next year, or what does our democracy look like in the next decade, or like, like where is this all going? And I don't want to be naive about any of that, 
But there's a fine line between um, naivety on the one hand and faith on the other. And I'm not interested in naivety, but I am in, interested in, in faith, um, in trust. That underneath all the material circumstances of our lives, there's something deeper and truer and more reliable than the ebb and flow of our circumstances. And um, I know that my circumstance in the last three and a half months was a strange luxury. Um, very few of us will ever have the opportunity that I've, I've had, and I, I'm aware of that. And it makes me almost uncomfortable talking about it because I don't want to, you know, gloat um, when a lot of us in this room could use the same kind of break. I know that. Um, but I did come home knowing in my bones more than I've known in a very long time that though you may not um, have things going the way that you thought they were going to go, you're going to have what you need. Um, Scott Erickson, my artist friend who painted these mantra illustrations for us, he has this uh, on the wall of his studio. It says, you will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. And um, I don't know if you believe that today, but I'm not going to apologize for believing it for you. Because <laughs> uh, the last three and a half months have given me that experience to a degree that you're not going to talk me out of it. Um, I don't know what it'll look like for you and how you'll open your heart to it and experience it, but I believe it. And I believe it for our community as well. Um, we have a lot of like, beautiful and exciting and challenging things in front of us as we take this big step toward the Tribune and we figure out our life together. In some ways, we're kind of a new congregation with many new faces as we come out of COVID. Um, I don't know how it will go, but I am convinced that we will have what we need. And so um, I've come home full-hearted and, and deeply grateful and um, very much up for uh, the next season that we have together. Uh, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, in case you're wondering or hoping. Uh, <laughs> um, I came home like with a really deep sense that that sabbatical was everything it was meant to be, and now it's done. And uh, it's time for what's next, and what's next is our life here together as a church. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Uh, guys, I'm so glad we had the picnic last week. Can you imagine if I tried to preach last week? Good grief. I've had 14 days to try to get my act together, and now I'm still a little uh, <clears throat> tender. Um, I thought I would end with a, a blessing um, that I heard a long time ago. Um, a spiritual teacher who spent years at Notre Dame before moving on, a guy named Henry Nowen, Catholic priest. Uh, he was given this blessing by his mentor. And uh, in so many ways, it also tells the truth about what I've been through the last three and a half months, and I wanted to share it with you. So if you're able, will you stand to your feet? And I'll make this our benediction. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all of your desires be withered into nothingness, that you may experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child and sing and dance in the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you soon.